Hello, everyone. I'm Al Daldegan, creator and producer of the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, supported by Rainforest Alberta. This podcast showcases the people who are working to improve Alberta's innovation ecosystem. This episode is hosted by Adam Ludgate. Adam is a technical leader who is involved in the startup tech community and is enticed by new and innovative ways of solving problems with technology. He has worked previously with the likes of IBM Canada, AOL UK, tech startups in London's Silicon Roundabout, as well as in a variety of oil and gas software firms in various software development and leadership capacities. So let's join Adam now as he has an interview with Jason Ribeiro. Take it away, Adam. Thanks, Al. Um, today on the Leaders, Innovators, and Big Ideas podcast, I'm speaking with Jason Ribeiro. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming on the podcast with us and um, love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're currently up to. Uh, thanks, Adam. And, and thanks to the, the you know, reinforced community that, that really keeps this, this going. It's, it's, it's a great personal uh, learning tool for me to know what's going on in the ecosystem. But uh, yeah, happy to be here. Uh, Jason Ribeiro, I'm the Director of Strategy at uh, Calgary Economic Development, uh, amongst uh, a number of other things that I've got my 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 hands in. But uh, you know, a basic overview of my background is that I, I moved to Calgary from Toronto um, in the fall of 2015. Um, you know, really at uh, the height of the, the recession, and so not a great time, you know, on paper for most people to be moving to, to Calgary. But from my perspective. It was just the best time. It, it represented a, a you know a blank slate, a fresh start for me to uh, start my PhD work at the time, but also get involved in a in a community that really embraced myself and then eventually my family with with open arms. And so I've had a background, obviously, in academia, um, you know, researching cross sector partnerships to solve really big, heady challenges. Uh, I've been an international consultant and worked in a number of different markets across uh, across the globe. Um, I've, uh, you know, had a brief, brief stint in, in, uh, television broadcasting for, for CBC and a number of other things, but what it all comes down to, and I think, which leads me to the, the chair that I sit in now as the director of strategy at Calgary Economic Development is that, you know, I feel an immense responsibility to number one, repay a debt to this city that, that, you know, welcomed me. And I knew no one when I moved here. Um, and I still see it even with all the challenges as, as very opportunity rich, uh, I feel a, a great pressure to repay that debt. And and number two is to expand opportunity to as many Calgarians as, as possible. And so whether that, uh, you know, is with this chair or or through our not-for-profit Global Shapers Calgary, where I'm the outgoing curator, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that every Calgarian can, uh, can get a leg up. And so the innovation ecosystem, the tech ecosystem here is certainly one that uh, is, I, I think, also opportunity rich and uh, eager to chat with you more about uh, what some of those opportunities might be. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for the, for the introduction. And um, so joining the CED then um, when you came into it, um, what were your kind of major goals and major aspirations and, and where have those landed? Where, are they, where have they come to fruition? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And it's, it's one that, um, you know, is, is, a, is a really unique circumstance. You know, at the time, uh, I was I was still consulting, um, you know, still uh, doing some some broadcasting work and political commentary, and uh, wasn't actually looking for what that next thing might be. And usually, I'm sure as many uh, previous guests on this podcast have noted, you know, sometimes things just opportunity meets you where you're at, 
and you feel um, you know the stars align in a way that makes you pursue it. And so this director of strategy position opened up at, at Calgary Economic Development. And uh, even though I, I was still in the, the the midpoint of my my PhD, I said you know where Calgary's economy was at, um, this was something to to step up um, and and pursue. And I, I wrote an open letter to the public when I um, accepted the position. And I remember a distinct line in it. It actually said you know. I've been very open about uh, critiques of you know the city's direction and, and leadership and what we need to do to build a, a resilient economy. And I bolded the line, um, it's step up or shut up time. And really that's that's what brought me to CED was to be able to get in the game and, and really um, uh, affect change. And so in terms of um, you know, goals and achievements, you know, that uh, you know, we're just past the one year mark, um, in this chair, but I think the goals and achievements are really not only just the responsibilities or uh, in response to my efforts, but certainly the efforts of the team. And so when you think of, um, you know, key files that I've had a, you know, sort of direct hand in ushering through like the state investment, uh, about a month and a half ago to build a digital transformation talent hub through the opportunity Calgary investment fund, which CED manages, um, you know, to the countless companies that, that we've had a hand in, in attracting here, which, you know, we'll go into a little bit uh, at our economic outlook event uh, later in October, um, but also just mapping, I think, the goals of Calgary and the new economy, our city's economic strategy that I help lead to the actions of governments and private sector businesses. You know, it's no surprise that the premier's recovery plan very much mirrored some of the key priorities of Calgary and the new economy. And that goes to a lot of work that we do behind the scenes as a broker between the community government and the private sector. And so, yeah, there's some really micro stuff in, in the fact that we've commissioned more research. You know, research is, is under my jurisdiction here in this role. We've commissioned more research, I think, than in any other year previously. And as an academic, that meant a lot to me. But I think that uh, it's it's a team effort here and, and certainly not uh, one that our organization takes on its, itself. Our mandate is really to work with folks like you, uh, folks like uh, that comprise the, the Rainforest community and a myriad of other partners to make sure that we're building a vision for a new economy moving forward. And it's a, it's a pretty privileged position that I, I, uh, I occupy right now. Cool. Yeah. And the research stuff uh, is a little bit interesting to me as well. Um, cause I don't, the CED is, you know, you guys are doing a lot of different things. You're got, you got, uh, contributing in a lot of different areas. Um, anything on the research side that gets you kind of super excited that, that you want to share? Oh yes. I can nerd out for a, for a second here. Um, I'll go into to maybe a, a recent release, something that's in flight and, and something maybe I think that I, I want to do that, that I, I know that we probably will. In terms of something that we recently released, um, we just did a, a big market study for uh, the agribusiness sector here in, in Calgary and Southern Alberta uh, that we partnered with uh, EY on. And it's, it's supremely comprehensive, meaning that not only is it just you know uh, hundreds of pages of, of, of really meaningful work that uh, a lot of people in the ecosystem are going to action, but it just it does the operational work of mapping out a strategy. Everything from, hey, here's what our core business is to here are the investments in agritech and precision analytics we, we really need to make over the next few years to make some noise globally, uh, particularly post-COVID. But what was really unique about this process was not only did we partner with a really well-established firm like EY, but we had an ag sector committee that we convened, convened through CED. And it's everyone from, from ranchers to post-secondary institutions to big companies. And all of them really came together to get uh, collective buy-in to say, hey, this is the vision for the future of agribusiness 
in Calgary and Southern Alberta. And we recently just, just released it. And I think it's, we'll provide the roadmap actually for the next two or three years about where that sector goes. So really proud of that work. Um, in terms of one that's in flight, um, 5G has always been a very misunderstood space, I think for, for, for me. Um, also because, you know, there's, there's, there's levels to this. Um, and there's, there's a kind of uh, marketing perspective on what 5G can be. There's a U.S.-Canadian divide on what 5G technology can be. And, and certainly there's a lot of stakeholders in the mix. It's not just the telecoms. It's not just the municipalities and, and jurisdictions and, and buildings. Um, but it's, it's also the federal government who has a lot of sway over spectrum. And so what we've uh, contracted uh, out is uh, a really wonderful University of Calgary researcher, Dr. Gregory Taylor, to do a comprehensive assessment of the 5G opportunity in Calgary. Everything from the roadmap of, you know, we know we have great connectivity, but parse that out for me, all the way to the future vision of 5G applications specific to this market, whether that be a 5G-enabled campus, uh, a 5G open zone, or particular companies that are going to be able to leverage 5G technologies to expand their business. And so uh, we're hoping in the next uh, sort of couple months here that we'll have some conclusion on that, but the initial insights are are really astounding and that's a great partnership with the city of Calgary. Um, and then lastly, I think the most exciting piece on the research front is to, to do the deep uh, dives into sectors that you wouldn't think got a lot of love in Calgary, but life sciences. Um, you know, Orpix Medical Technologies, Calgary company, just announced that they're the, the provincial partner for PPE production, but they're also doing world-leading work in wearable technologies and, and others. There are tons of companies that are coming up just like Orpix that have the ability to scale, but we really don't have a good understanding of the life sciences sector. If we can do, you know, one of these studies for each of those emerging sectors, you know, fintech, cybersecurity, uh, life sciences and others, that's what really uh, turns my crank. And so I think that's what's going to really set the research agenda for 2021 and beyond. Cool. And, and you know, on the 5G space, you know, typically the only bodies with deep enough pockets to build out telecom networks like that, you know, are three companies, now maybe a fourth company that we can name. Um, so in what way are you like kind of directly facilitating that or are you just kind of moving out red tape so the infrastructure can come into place a little bit faster? Yeah, it's a bit of both, right? Like, I think that you want to take advantage of the fact that you have these um, those big entities that could pull the trigger if, if need be uh, right now. And, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, those big players are coordinating with the capital C city of Calgary about what does that look like? What does the cell application intake process look like? Um, I, can, I can say confidently that Calgary remains ahead of the curve in this regard. And so while you're hearing a lot of noise about so-and-so doing 5G over here and so-and-so doing 5G over there, I think that's what the study really wants to do is separate fact from fiction. So certainly I think that it's about leveraging uh, the purchasing power and the capabilities of those big players, but also, you know, understanding where um, that, that opportunity can be a little bit democratized and, and opened up to the market. Uh, there are players in Canada and in Calgary that do operate, um, you know, closely related to 5G and other international markets, um, but don't necessarily have the plug in here. So certainly removing some of that red tape um, so that those companies can get a little bit of love uh, and some consideration and what they would even need to hit um, to be sort of 5G tenable in the Calgary context is certainly something that we want to do, uh, not only from our, our uh, sort of partnership with, with the stakeholders, but also um, achieve through this study in particular as well. Okay, cool. Good. Well, that's promising and positive. And yeah, like the more, you know, 
it's always been watching the evolution of our networks, like cellular networks has always been something that's been interesting to me, you know, going back early days in the 1990s when, you know, people said, oh, no, I'm not going to get that. And then more and more people started having phones. And now we're waiting for the next, we're all waiting for the next, uh, other than the conspiracy theorists, um, level up on the network so we can increase our bandwidth on our devices. It's always good to, good to see that you guys are kind of helping to accelerate that happening. Um, so um, one of the things that I'm really keen on is seeing more uh, product-based tech companies come into the market here in Calgary. Um, from your point of view, what are you seeing? What is, a, what is the kind of the way that we can best attract product companies to build or, and or move into our jurisdiction um, and you know, the landscape as, as it looks from your share right now? Yeah, I think it's a really um, interesting question and one I'm, I'm equally passionate about because it kind of product-based tech companies uh, get lost, I think, in the fray of broader tech. And, and, and this is a particularly specific focus. Um, and in the conversations uh, I have, it's, it really comes down to something I think that cuts across, um, not necessarily something that's niche to just the product-based uh, tech category. Uh, and in most cases, it's talent, right? If you look at what makes product-based tech companies um, uh, fairly well-situated in the markets that they're in, is, is, a, is a couple of features. The first is, do they have the ability to source talent from that jurisdiction locally? Um, can they partner with the right post-secondary institutions, accelerators to, to create a funnel, if you will, or an open or revolving door with other product-based tech companies to create that innovation culture that really allows them to support one another and thrive? And if you look at what's being traded, it's not just the, the kind of open source IP that makes them um, you know, really collaborative and, and open in a, in a way that bolsters the whole ecosystem. It's really the trading off of talent. It's that so-and-so does a stint over here. And then when they want a new challenge or a new change of scenery, they move over, over here. And so one of the things that we really need to get a grasp on, and I think we're, it's where CED is actually leading the conversation, is around talent. Look, you know, if you're, you're a product-based tech company in a, in a competitive market and you have global market share, odds are you're recruiting from some of the top colleges and, and universities in the country. Um, and so, well, what's one of the components that we need to have here is that we need to build up the capacity of post-secondaries that are, you know, in many ways, Canada-wide leading. You know, I look at the University of Calgary, I look at the U of A, um, you know, people mistake, I think, the U of C in particular as, uh, as not being in the mix for one of the top, you know, universities globally, but in Canada. But I think it's only because it's, it's been around for 50 plus, just over 50 years. Um, if, if the things that they've been able to do in a 55 year and change sort of bandwidth um, is actually exceptional. And so how we, how we fuel them with the right opportunities for research and development, for work integrated learning, for commercialization and innovation, but also those direct work integrated learning opportunities to say, hey, if you have a company um, that wants to be in the product-based um, uh, market and you need X amount of talent, here are the direct co-ops, internships, work-integrated learning opportunities that will feed really, really amazing STEM talent right to your front door. The more that we can do that and solve that problem for those companies willing to come over here, uh, the better off we'll be. Um, and then the second side of to the equation is obviously the manufacturing, right? And so one of the things that I don't know that will um, necessarily outcompete is, you know, foreign, you know, completely low cost jurisdiction markets um, uh, that, that are underpaying wages. But where we can compete, I think, in that conversation is that we do operate in a, very, a fairly low tax environment overall. 
So if a company was willing to move their operations here, one of the, the best benefits is that we are one of the lowest uh, cost uh, from a tax perspective jurisdictions in the country. And so, but if we, but we need to solve the talent piece first. So if we can pair those two t- things together and then over the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday is that we exist in a place that's highly livable, a place where you can, you know, buy a home, raise a family, have adequate green space, mountain proximity, all those extra things become a bonus, but we have to really tie a bow uh, to mix my my metaphors between Sundays and, and presents, um, we really have to tie a bow here around where all those pieces fit together, and I think present that as a unique opportunity to product based companies. And and you know certainly we're playing our part on a BD level, but it's certainly something that I think our our community has to do um, in lockstep overall. Yeah. Okay. And so public policy comes into the mix here as well, right? Like you you obviously would be petitioning and lobbying the municipal. And, and probably provincial and even federal level to to provide those incentives. Now, one parallel to this, if you're probably aware, is um, the film industry, um, particularly in Toronto, Ontario, and, and Vancouver. You know, tax incentives abound, and the proof is in the pudding, right? You got film sets and film crews running all over the place. Now, Alberta doesn't have the same um, same thing in the film, film jurisdiction, but you know, who's to say that we can't do something in the same world in tech? And I don't, I don't know how you actually create those criteria for saying you are eligible for this type of tax incentive. But I mean, it has worked. It has been very effective in another industry, a parallel industry. You know, um, so I'd love, to, I'd love to see that and get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, and I think that from our perspective, you know, we we see ourselves, I think, more as a as a partner to 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 orders of government, and certainly there are others. Uh, organizations that that I think uh, we're uh, very close to, like the Chamber and, and the Business Council, that are more of that direct lobbyist. But but as a partner, um, what we're able to do, I think, is 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 get to that win win, right? And so you've seen some movement, and I mentioned earlier uh, the uh, Premier's Recovery Plan, but also the new uh, ministry that was created for uh, jobs, innovation, and the economy. And I think putting that innovation uh, line directly in the title of the ministry. Uh, I think tip the hand around what the direction is 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 going to be, and you've and you've seen you know a lot of movement in, in the last few weeks um, that I think would have taken um, uh, to their credit a lot uh, you know several months potentially before. So so they've they've wanted to move fast. You know you have an innovation employment uh, tax credit already on the books, but certainly I think the the film um, opportunity um, is quite analogous to the tech one, which is to say how do we understand what's best. Um, served other markets, but also how do we understand where that maps to advantages that we already have potentially from a tax competitiveness perspective? So you might not need to solve everything through a very targeted tax credit because some of it is baked in, basically on the overall, because we should be looking at the overall, you know, it's, it's a, the acronym is, is METER, the overall tax impacts to a company's operations here, um, where, you know, time and time again, we would be to Toronto, Vancouver, et cetera, but giving those industries a little bit of a leg up where they might need it to to attract and scale those companies is the delicate balance. And so certainly, you know, I can assure listeners that we're at the table um, and, and have a very productive relationship, especially as uh, as, a, as of recent uh, with the new minister on here's exactly what tech companies need. And here's exactly the ROI um, on, on what an investment might mean. Now, the technicalities of the, the policy will, will have to be sort of viewed, but we certainly remain engaged and at the table for sure. Okay, cool. And then to me, the other component here on attraction of the product-based companies, going back to that, um, is you know 
access to capital. If there's no access to capital, they're not going to show up. Um, so uh, you probably would have seen recently, there was the, um, the new angel group allied, uh, by Matthew Wilson, which was launched. So that's pretty exciting. And, um, hopefully that's going to give us a little more diversity in the angel space. Cause you know, Western Canada is not exactly a broad, uh, broad base of angel, angel groups at the moment. Uh, I, I had a conversation with Sandy Gilbert, uh, from NACO about that. And she's, you know, saying, yeah, we, we definitely need to, we need to see a little boost here, but that's super positive. And I think that's something that's going to get us to be a little bit more of attractive market for product based companies. Um, and then obviously the opportunity Calgary investment fund as well. Um, so, you know, talking around both of those things, um, do you think, do you think they've had some impact? You know, do you think the OSIF fund has had been effective in, in certainly in there's in some cases in retention, you know, a company like Atabotics been exploring, uh, working in jurisdictions outside of Alberta, we're, we're happy to stay here. Uh, and I think largely in due to the, um, opportunity Calgary investment fund. Uh, but curious to get your thoughts on all that. Yeah. The, 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 the capital piece is a, is an interesting one and thank you for, for, for raising it. And, you know, in, in some cases, um, you know, the, the R and D, the product the concept is, is so lucrative that the, uh, capital can precede the operational access to talent and things like that. And in other cases, it's, it's the reverse, but nonetheless, it's a, it's a core component, right? So I'm glad you mentioned it. And I think, you know, even in the allied, uh, you know, announcement and press release, my colleague, uh, down, uh, down the hall for me, Alicia Peters was, was, uh, quoted in there. And so certainly from an innovation perspective, we see it as a, as a welcome opportunity and Sandy's and your point is, is quite right. You know, we, we are far behind in the access to capital, particularly in the angel side. Um, but again, I, I you know I, I look to you know what are the structural things that we need to solve to make that easier, and I think one of the ways that we can do that is is by seeing through the you know community building ecosystem building that makes it easier for capital to come in, so that you're not just taking a one off on a company. You are you know investing in the assurances of the either the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund, CED, um, you know Platform Calgary, um, Intergen, which which Sandy's involved in, et cetera, et cetera. It, it provides a little bit of that herding of the cats that sometimes the capital needs to say, hey, I can look at some of these investments that you've made over the last, uh, you know, two or three quarters. Um, you know, our money can go along here. Let's let's make that move in, in the right opportunity that matches our fund. Um, and Omer's released a great article a few weeks ago, uh, maybe a few months ago, actually, now at this point, about being long on, on Calgary as well. And so I think we're starting to turn the tide um, uh, here, but to your, to your latter part of your question on the opportunity Calgary investment fund, um, I think it's a very welcome, uh, question. And I think it raises two things. Number one, um, what are the gaps in our communities, not only just innovation ecosystem, but economy in general? Um, and what are the things that are going to solve it? And you just, you know, made a good point. If, if capital is not allocating here privately from an angel perspective, a venture perspective, and, and we still have a long way to go. What are the things that are going to be able to de-risk some of that um, investment for private capital to come in, for leveraged funding from other orders of government to solve some of these great challenges and, and potentially weaknesses in our economy? And so, you know, from the perspective of the investment into Atabotics, which is, you know, keeping a kind of made in Calgary and Alberta company, you know, still here, certainly I think uh, welcome and, and well-received. But then the second thing is to, to making investments that matter to the ecosystem so that they support not just the antibiotics, but the tons of future antibiotics that may emerge from Calgary because they have access to talent. That's why, you know, you know, myself and my colleagues spend so much time 
working with SAFE because it provides the opportunity to say, if we can solve in some small part, we can't boil the ocean, but if we can solve in some small part the talent question um, for companies that have a presence here, but their talent hasn't matched the opportunity that digital transformation has posed, who's going to be that bridging network between the two? Who is going to reinvent what it means to work for a company like Nutrient, who you know is working in a very traditional space, but increasingly the opportunities are in precision ad- analytics, agritech, et cetera, agri-food um, and technology. Um, who's going to reinvent working for CN Rail, uh, another company that has a presence here where they're not looking for conductors that are going to go on the trains anymore. They're looking for folks that can manage data um, uh, and, and sensor technology, et cetera. So those types of investments that I think the the Opportunity Calgary Investment Funds have made are, are going to be the ones that bear the most fruit simply because we had a gap. We were able to solve a, a problem for the post-second or um, for the private sector, um, partner with a very steady um, sort of an in, uh, investment collaborator like a post-secondary. It's one of the best investments you can make, particularly in a downturn. But also more importantly, how do we keep uh, investment in the Calgary downtown? And so you'll see in many of these cases, most of these investments have been made where we've needed them most um, to revitalize uh, downtown. And so I can't think of a better way than in the state example, uh, bringing a post-secondary downtown to a heritage building that was remaining you know, somewhat unoccupied uh, by Synovus at, at the time to leverage that into a very open, you know, tech-facing, uh, uh, accessible place where um, the tech experience, I think, can be democratized. In, in Calgary's downtown for everyone from K to 12, all the way to those adult learners looking to make a pivot uh, midway through their career. Yeah, cool. And I want to stay on this point of, of talent and, and get into this, um, get into the discussion about the state digital transformation talent hub. So you, what you just alluded to. So let's talk a little bit about that in detail. You know, that, that actually just kind of broke news, whatever, in the last month or something like that. Um, so for people that aren't aware, maybe you can share the details of that and the thought process that went behind it. Um, and, and yeah, kind of rolled into the general, the overarching discussion of access to talent, um, you know, bringing people from other parts of the country or other parts of the world and, and, and training up people. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, uh, I think, uh, a great, uh, example to, to talk about the full spectrum of talent and, 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 you know, talent sometimes for me is this kind of, uh, uh, BS, uh, economic development, uh, you know, uh, company facing term, but you know, really it is about learning. Like, how do we commit to being a city that learns its way forward? Um, and I think that's that's a message that needs to be heard from our focus on diversification, right? If a, if a city has been able to diversify its economy, it's because it's been able to learn its way forward. And so taking that broad perspective on learning from everything from, you know, local learning development from K to 12 onward through to uh, post-secondary, but also in terms of reskilling and then attracting people here, um, is, is, is part of that full spectrum of, of talent and learning. So, you know, I think everything, every opportunity that we pursue related to, to learning and talent um, goes back to our, our economic strategy, Calgary and the New Economy. Uh, and really, it's, it's a vision that's been powered by 1,800 Calgarians, a CEO roundtable, um, you know, global leaders and partners like Boston Consulting Group and others who have done a lot of the source research and really, the, the vision behind that strategy is, you know, how do we become the jurisdiction of choice for the world's best entrepreneurs who want to solve these really big global challenges like, you know, safe and secure food, cleaner energy, the efficient movement of goods and people, better health solutions. 
Um, and all of that comes down to people and, and talent and that entrepreneurial thinking that we pride ourselves on here in Calgary. And so as part of that strategy, one of the key pillars that I mentioned earlier was, was talent. And that goes from everything in adopting, you know, creativity and, and critical thinking from K to U to something very, very tangible, like building a kind of talent accelerator. And so when we looked at the strategy and, uh, and we were working with post-secondary partners and private companies, that concept of a, of a talent accelerator is something that the post-secondaries in particular latched onto very, very immediately. And so, uh, you know, weeks turned into, into months and eventually Sate, you know, broke, broke the logjam with a $30 million investment from David Bissett. And, you know, part of what, what, what we do at CED, but also with investments like the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund is really leverage dollars. And so the fact that $30 million was landing in, in Calgary to a, a post-secondary that's a polytechnic, which is very unique to Alberta, which allows them to be very company facing. You know, I couldn't think of a better sort of start to that talent accelerator conversation than SAIT. And clearly SAIT felt very similarly. And so while they, you know, committed themselves to building out a school for advanced digital technology with that initial investment, part of it was how do we leverage those dollars and funding to be able to catalyze something very specific? And that's where the digital transformation talent hub was born. Look, you know, the, the school, while still in formation, you know, with, with uh, its new chief catalyst and a friend of, of the Rainforest community, obviously, Jim Gibson, um, while they're still sorting out, I think, what, what roles it will play in the local ecosystem and then even nationally, because it, it is, you know, priming itself to be a national leading model here in Canada, um, you know, it has some distinctions from the digital transformation talent hub. The, the talent hub that we've, we've invested in accomplishes a few things for, for Calgary companies and Calgary talent. And the first is, is on that K-12 space. You know, um, we can't get by anymore by just assuming that we'll catch kids in post-secondary, uh, catch kids in university, and that'll be their exposure to product-based tech companies and, and the opportunities there. Um, really, you know, coming from a former teacher and someone who uh, academically, um, you know, does research in the educational leadership and policy space, you know, most students and kids are, are like 90% baked by the time they go to post-secondary. So how do we capture the creativity, the innovation, uh, particularly for, for your kids, for, for, for my son, um, when, they, when they can soak that up as a sponge? And so democratizing tech opportunities in K-12 is a core focus of some of the programming. And that'll be, you know, open capstone challenges, partnerships with uh, the Calgary Board of Education to play with tech in a very meaningful way early than just makerspaces or STEM or STEAM. Um, this is something where we can get that cultural nuance of critical thinking and, um, and some of the hard technical skills earlier. So that's one component. The second piece is around um, you know, competency mapping. When we talk about tech, um, you, know, you and I know it's a, it's a really expansive space and your, your competency as it relates to digital transformation uh, can be placed upon a really wide spectrum of skills, opportunities, experience, et cetera. And so the competency mapping that state's going to provide allows you as a, as a, as a private sector leader to eventually pay, place your employees on the spectrum and understand here's the kind of you know, personalized pathway they would need to get to the competency level that you would desire for digital transformation for your company, but also allow a state student to be able to find out, hey, if I followed this track as it relates to upskilling myself related to, to tech or coding, Python, Java, whatever it is, here's where I would find myself in, in the pathway of digital transformation. Um, and, and here's the roadmap forward. So I think that's a critical component. 
And then the last ones are, are related to that, that mid-career, mid-level sort of corporate leader who you know, might have a, a very good uh, track record in a, in a traditional uh, company uh, or a traditional acting company over the last, say, five to 10 years, but now is starting to see many of their core responsibilities transformed by AI, by machine learning. And if the companies want to be very successful, they know that they need to get a handle on it, but they also need the talent and knowledge base that that existing employee had. So either they have a choice, they can, you know, look at their company in a very tight market right now where, you know, uh, dollars are being stretched everywhere in the private sector and reinvent their entire learning and development strategy, or they can plug into an investment like the State Digital Transformation Talent Hub and say, hey, we have the expertise here that's going to navigate your staff through this. So give us 40 people and, uh, and we'll walk them through exactly what you need to get them out on the other side uh, with the skills and competencies that you're going to need to, to move them forward. And so uh, I think in some holistically, you've never seen an investment that's trying to do all of these things. That's the broad vision. Uh, but, but most importantly, I think the, the fourth and final sort of piece of this will be that how can this be a hub for the rest of Calgary to learn from? How does that building right uh, over my shoulder uh, next to the Bow building, um, which is the Oddfellows building that SAID is now occupying, how does that become this sort of open door post-COVID for, you know, a K-12 student, a mid-career person to just come in, have a coffee, meet some cool people, work on some interesting problems, you know, replicate the garage um, that I think has been so romanticized in, in many tech stories, but, but can make that accessible for, for anyone. Um, to come and play in. And so there could be capstone challenges, open city challenges related to key problems we want to solve. But we have we now have a downtown hub um, to spur all of that activity. And we couldn't be more excited for that. Cool. And your comment about downtown hub now is, is making my uh, bells ring about Platform Calgary. So uh, is there any overlap there between this new initiative and, and what Platform set out to do? I know the construction, I think, is is well underway. I'm not, I'm not sure how far the completion, but but anyway, any overlap there? Yeah, I think I think uh, there's there's you know going to need to be some redundancy because talent is such a big beast um, for for the entire city, and so I don't think uh, you know one investment or one agency can really uh, bite off everything and, and sort of boil the ocean. Uh, you know, I'm super excited. I think for platforms building to come uh, online as as well, and I think they're ahead of schedule and, and soon to be completed. Um, but certainly, I think their focus is really around. Uh, the the entrepreneur first and the and the company first and how can they help those kinds of companies scale and then you know you know pair them with the established companies or thinking that are going to to help um, you know create the innovation that uh, our our city needs but also the corridor between Edmonton and and Calgary needs as well and I think from the state side of things it's really about how do we focus on the person first and that person might be an employee that person might be a decision maker that that person might be a student uh, or a family, and how can that that sort of whole uh, experience of uh, a Calgarian's relationship with technology be be democratized? And so I think they're they're getting at uh, different ends of things that are related. Talent and innovation are, are closely related, um, and I think the the success um, of both will be primed on um, you know the the willingness to scale the advantages that each poses. And, and define that role clarity. But for right now, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about um, those investments. I think both are, are, are well needed in our community. Cool, that's good to hear. Um, and going back on the, the comment about the, you know, getting people when they're early, um, earlier in their uh, education, 
I, I have experienced a similar thing. I did a computer science degree at the University of Calgary, and I remember um, the, the people who were the top of the class were instantly at Facebook, Amazon, Google, Stripe, you know, poached down to the valley. And, and if we can catch these, these kind of people early and give them exciting technical challenges to work on, they're not going to go away. And that's going to, you know, play to our advantage hugely. So I, I love the initiative and the focus on, you know, bringing people in early and, and getting their attention early. Yeah. And, and one of the things I'll just, I'll just buttress that point, uh, because it's come up in a couple of conversations that I've had is, you know, for, for companies, uh, tech companies in particular in this space that have a presence in Calgary, you know, this is a really welcome opportunity to, I think, um, you know, create a, a brand relationship with Calgarians. You know, one of the, the theories that I've, I've had, um, um, you know, having the perspective of, of coming to this place um, from, from another market that was just over the hump as I started to leave in Toronto from a tech perspective. And, and I'm sure, you know, many guests on, on the podcast have pointed out um, it's, it's not the, uh, you know, romantic, you know, tech friendly jurisdiction, uh, you know, it's, it's built to be now. There were some supreme challenges in that ecosystem there. Um, some investments that had gone poorly, you know, ecosystems rallying around um, things that you wouldn't expect. Um, and so, certainly I apply a lot of those lessons here, but one of the things I think that I've noticed over a period of time is that, you know, we have such brand recognition with established ca- uh, companies in Calgary that have operated over a number of years. Um, the, the Suncors, the Synovuses, you know, particularly within the, the energy space, and, you know, to, to their credit, and it's not just because they had the dollars to commit um, when the price of oil was high, um, you know, they've stretched budgets to continue to sponsor these, you know, pancake breakfasts and community uh, walkathons and runs. And the, the, the brand relationship with the community is, 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 has always been very high, even as, you know, energy transitioned from, you know, the one individual who was, was the maverick into the, the financier operations and M&A, it's, it's always been consistent. And what I think the tech community has a real, real opportunity here is to, again, embrace that sort of democratization of the tech experience and, and be involved in every facet of the community building here. And I know it's tough. And I know that uh, it's, it's um, you know, uh, a unique experience to, to build a tech company and scale a tech company in a market like this that's undergoing the structural change in its biggest industry. Um, but at the same point in time, I think that the K-12 opportunity, the opportunity that you just presented from some of your classmates, what if those opportunities were with the, you know, and I could insert name here, of Calgary Tech Company that just had, you know, you can think of the last few that have done Series A, Series B, uh, B raises in our community. What is their relationship to not only those upside programs, but the communities where eventually parents like yourself or me are going to potentially send their kids, um, uh, you know, uh, opportunities where you say, hey, when I grow up, I want to be this. And maybe you do it for X company. Who is going to fill that void? And so I think, you know, anchor investments like, you know, the State Digital Transformation Talent Hub and the school, but Platform and others present this very, very opportune moment for Calgary tech companies to establish that very, very direct relationship with Calgarians and understand that they can be a part of this economic future that, uh, that we have a part in, uh, but that, that more importantly, our children can be a part in, in, uh, in the future. And so that's the, the long-term commitment that I'm super excited uh, for and, and would encourage the, the tech community to really grab hold of. Cool. 
Um, you know, glad, glad to hear the, the positive, <laughs> the positive feedback on that. And, and I'm, I'm hoping the plan works because, uh, yeah, as you said, our kids are banking on it. So, um, and then within, you know, going, going back a little bit again on, uh, the public, public policy stuff a little bit, you know, at the provincial government here in Alberta, initially when they came in, they kind of made a few cuts that, that made a few eyebrows come up a little bit and some frowns. And it looks like some of that is, has been backtracked and maybe not re- reverted to exactly what it was before, but other, other, um, mechanisms to bolster tech are back. Um, what's your, what's your thought on the, on the current state there and, and the future? Yeah, I think I can, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, taking folks, uh, sort of at their word. And, um, and I understand things, uh, things can change, right? Uh, the, and, and, you know, I, I've got personal skin in the, not personal skin, but, uh, you know, some pre-CED skin in the game on this because I actually um, was, the, was a political commentator for CBC in that election running up to this. And so, you know, I paid very close attention to uh, the 100-page policy documents that, uh, that this, this current government had, had outlined. And so, you know, what I, what I think is, is really important right now, particularly post-COVID, is, is are we seeing the kind of momentum that is positive for the tech community right now when we need it most. Um, and, and if we can point our eyes forward and find the, the space where we can work collaboratively, which, you know, CD had on is, is, is certainly our, our mandate. Um, what I've seen over the past several weeks has been incredibly promising. Um, and by engaging um, with this government, with, with uh, community stakeholders and the opportunities that present themselves, um, they are proving that they're being very quick to act. You know, the one thing that I will say is that I've not seen a government work this quickly ever. Um, uh, and that was even pre-COVID. And so our job is to remain at the table and provide them the insights like, you know, uh, entrepreneurs like yourself and others are feeding to us. And I think that's why, you know, I take very seriously the the, the privilege and, and role I have in, in sort of, you know, be, working with the community very directly is because those insights those needs, uh, those opportunities get, you know, filtered to me through osmosis. And so when we have those audiences, we can reinforce the message. And so, like I said, Premier's recovery plan mapped Calgary in the new economy almost identically. The announcements that have happened, uh, both of existing commitments and new money um, uh, related to innovation over the last several weeks have been incredibly promising. Um, and then we will continue to be at the table um, to make sure that those, uh, those kinds of investments but that focus on innovation everywhere from, you know, what incentives are, are being provided to private companies. But again, also importantly, what are the commercialization opportunities out of the R&D that's coming out of post-secondaries, right? Like right across the innovation value chain, how are we setting ourselves up for, for success and what is the public investment required to do so? Um, and so we are, we are, I think, in a great place to, to move some of that forward. And the worst thing you can do with a crisis is, is piss it away. And I, I don't think that's being done, uh, at least in this domain right now. Cool. And that bridges me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, which was, you know, metrics on all this. You know, how do we actually measure the effectiveness of these policies and these programs? I know um, upcoming is the annual annual report from the CED. I think that's next month, if I'm not mistaken. Next week, actually. Uh, that was the next week. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's going by fast. Okay. So, you know, that's, that, that drives, that drives what you do. That drives how you behave, you know, as CED. Um, so what kind of, what are the kind of the key metrics and components that are you using to, to measure the effectiveness of these programs and policies? Yeah. So I, th- I think it's a great question. And one that, um, 
in most conversations um, and public speaking engagements, I, I really level set on, right? Because our our mandate is, is super expansive, but our metrics are, are actually quite targeted. Um, and so the, the biggest metrics that we're responsible for, and, and I would say uniquely responsible for, are company attraction, um, office square foot absorption, and job creation. And so what I can say confidently from the results posted at last year's economic outlook and, and years before, even throughout a downturn, is that we've continuously increased uh, our targets um, and and done a, a hell of a job at uh, at, at meeting the, the targets that we set for us around company attraction, job creation. You know, we're talking about, you know, northwards of, of 80 companies attracted a year to, to, to Calgary. You're talking about, you know, between direct and indirect jobs, you know, 10,000 plus jobs. Um, and so what I, what I think you'll hear in, uh, in a very, very challenging market is that um, even though we're not fully through, through the year, we can report on um, some work, particularly that was done pre-global economic shutdown. Um, and so the numbers might look a little bit different here, but I think on a, on a core basis, on our organization's perspective, those are where you see the, the, the metrics um, really come out. And then those metrics are presented to uh, one of the primary shareholders, which is the city of Calgary, but also all of our private partners and made accessible. So we're looking forward to, I think, uh, giving a pulse check on what that uh, might mean for this year. But I think as it concerns the economic strategy, which we steward um, on behalf of the community, I think there's a very um, interesting test going into uh, 2021, which is to say, how much of this you know, big, expansive economic strategy have we covered off? So I gave you the example of talent, right? You know, How do we think about building uh, one of the uh, country's leading talent accelerators? And so we've, we've, we've planted the seeds right now with SAIT. Um, but in many cases, you know, you have to give some time for these to accurately be measured. And even from an academic perspective, the proof will be in the pudding, you know, a couple of years after we've made that uh, uh, investment. But what I think we can, uh, what we need to do from a success perspective is saying, are we playing in the right spots and solving the gaps that have needed to be solved over time? And so if talent is a big, is a big priority for us, are we partnering on the right investments related to talent right now? We've convened all of the post-secondaries in Calgary around conversations related to work-integrated learning, making it easier for private companies to be able to take on co-ops, internships, everything that has made a market like Waterloo successful, and certainly companies, uh, or sorry, cities um, in, uh, in the United States, the Valley, et cetera. Those are things that we should be playing in, and those are things that at CED are, 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 are uh, focusing our attention on. And so... What we're going to do, I think, leading into 2021 is, is give more pulse checks on the overall economic strategy than we have in the past. So not just let's drive the, the strategy forward and be responsible for stewardship, but also be responsible for, you know, really showing the community, here's where we're really good um, and have ad- adequately covered off even from the private sector, government policy, the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund, et cetera. You know, we've really taken a real good crack at talent. And we feel adequately covered there. But really on the downtown revitalization side, you know, we really haven't thought through what it's going to mean in repurposing, revitalizing, demolishing, who knows, the assets that are behind us. And that's something that we can't do on our own, but certainly we can paint a more data-informed picture on. And so I would say that uh, while we have good metrics at at CED, we have to continuously, I think, uh, think through what are the metrics that we need to assess success in the overall economic strategy. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I want to actually just talk to you a little bit about kind of the future of work, which has become a hot topic. I, I, I was on a podcast last week, actually sat in your chair as a guest discussing the, the, the subject a little bit because I'm 
becoming quite quite busied with uh, trying to attract people and and find some talent. So, but I'm also very just interested in it from a work from home and COVID perspective. Um, but we'll kind of come to that. So that that would be related to your Global Shapers Calgary, um, which you guys recently just issued a survey on future of work. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to talk a little bit about that, but firstly, you know, talk about global shapers, Calgary. Uh, you know, I think you're listed as the head curator and then there's a number of shapers that are part of the organization. So what is, what is the mission of the organization and who is a curator, who are a shaper and what, how does everyone contribute and what's the goal? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting, um, uh, initiative, uh, uh, and it was actually started by the world economic forum, um, which is sort of the preeminent uh, global convener of public policymakers, business decision makers, um, and, and then increasingly so um, emerging, you know, global and national leaders as, as well. And so, you know, the WEF has this perception, and I even have had this over a period of time, of this, you know, very elite Swiss group that is convening, you know, presidents and Bill Gates and so on and so forth, and, um, you know, taken what they've said with a grain of salt, but to their credit, very early on, they identified some of the most future-oriented kind of progressive thinking um, challenges that would be posed to our to our world, to our countries, and to our companies. And, and many of them have had to do with things like the future of work and the rising of automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning, but also things like uh, gender equity, uh, climate action, and understood that these are really vexing challenges that are going to reshape uh, the entirety of society. And to their credit, created a, a category of global shapers, which are young leaders under 32 in, in nearly every major city in the world uh, that are going to be part of this network and, and are ac- actually going to be responsible for likely leading on some of those issues going forward long after the that, that chairman of X company has retired. And so they've created the space for us to, to lean in. I'm the, the curator or the lead of the, the Calgary Hub. So operate you know, largely as a, an executive director uh, or or uh, or a president and shapers are individual members that contribute to projects in their local community that have an eye to the global impact on those big issues that we're talking about. But it's really the the biggest you know sort of uh, bottom up project you can imagine by basically saying, look, if you're tackling you know future of work, climate action, gender equality, civic engagement, all of these big heady issues in your city, and doing a, a fairly good job of it. By bubbling all of that up across the world, you know, we'll eventually make a, a dent in some of these big audacious challenges on a, on a global scale. And so, you know, we're a not-for-profit, and uh, one of the things that we wanted to do uh, this year was really tackle the future of work in Calgary. Because to your point, I think number one, it's super interesting. Number two, I don't think it's very well understood for a city that often thinks about its economy and and the business community. I don't remember very many f- conversations around the future of work. Um, uh, pre-COVID that were being thoughtfully pursued uh, at any scale. And so what we wanted to do was uh, create a survey that was methodologically robust, but actually talk to Calgarians about some of these very heady challenges that really only get talked about in science fiction or in other markets that, that are typically seen as global thinking. And so, you know, you might hear about the future of work in, in, in Silicon Valley or in New York, uh, Boston, but, but Calgary? Let's let's think about what that perception is here. And so we partnered with a local company called uh, RA2, which has actually just been um, accepted into Platforms Junction program. And they did uh, they do a lot of work in data science and network analysis. 
we created the survey, we deployed it to 800 Calgarians, which is a pretty large sample size. And we asked them questions related to their, their use of technology in their organization, um, you know, their, their perception on skills, um, uh, what skills they had available, what investments their companies were making in training, but also the, the lifestyle changes that have resulted not only with the future of work, but specific to COVID. And so we deployed uh, right as the pandemic hit and monitored the findings throughout. And, you know, the findings are super interesting. Um, you know, a top line on them are, you know, 54% of Calgarians do not think that they need to learn a new skill in a post-COVID job market. So we talk about what a landmark dis- disruption this has been. Um, you've seen the job uh, cuts at some of our largest employers. And the fact that over half of Calgarians don't feel that they need to learn a new skill is hugely challenging and also reinforces the importance both culturally and technically of an investment like SAIT, um, for instance. Um, you know, a second thing is that uh, almost uh, one in five or one in four Calgarians uh, are reporting an increased use of automation in their organization, but not you know, automation like, like what's happening in the Rust Belt and these manufacturing jurisdictions. It's actually in these high knowledge um, uh, tech jobs and, and highly skilled work where they're using really, really good precision analytics, data science, machine learning um, to advance their, their corporate goals. Um, and then lastly, while you know, COVID has presented a, a big disruption to some of those who are you know, very well off, part of this knowledge economy, this new economy, um, certainly uh, it has impacted the personal lives of lower paid Calgarians more. And so this should not be a surprise that flexible work, um, access to affordable uh, and free childcare, uh, but also pay equity um, for women in particular that bore a lot of the, the disadvantages of home responsibilities and then uh, not being paid adequately in, in the workspace have just rounded out, I think, a very fulsome perspective on the future of work. And so, you know, to sum all that up, we, my colleague and I, uh, put out an op-ed uh, about a couple of weeks ago around the need for a great reset um, in Calgary. And it's to really rethink the social contract between companies, governments, and and citizens around what is it that we need as a city to meet the challenges, uh, demands, but most importantly, the opportunities posed by, by the future of work. And we'll have some subsequent engagement uh, later this month uh, exploring some of these themes. Cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And there was a couple pieces um, in the report that I kind of pulled out to highlight here that I found quite interesting. So I'll just read them over. Um, one of them was continuing the CERB program and definitely could reshape the workforce. 37% of Calgarians would pursue a different career if they had UBI. I, I was absolutely shocked to read that. Um, and, you know, one that's a little more less surprising, I guess, Calgarians don't, Calgarians don't mind working from home. 33% want to keep working from home, but 47% want to work flexibly with time split between home and office. So, you know, I am seeing that trend, you know, very much anecdotally, but it seems that that's, that's starting to show up in the statistics as well as people wanting to have that two to three day, uh, work week in the office kind of thing. But the, the other, the other point around people, 37% of people want to do a different career if they had that financial backstop is kind of concerning. Um, I guess it shouldn't come as a big surprise because there's always been people that have hated their jobs or, or maybe not been in the career they wanted to, but they went that way because it made sense at the time. Um, any, any other insights on those, on those two stats? Yeah, the, the, the first is the biggest, right? Like that, that to me um, was, you know, my, my mouth went agape when I saw that. Um, and, and I think it's obviously, I think the, the, the sad side to that is that yes, people aren't feeling fulfilled in, in some of the roles that they have, or they're potentially mismatched for their skill set. Um, but, but I think there's a, there's such a, a, 
a much more broad perspective, right? Is that, you know, what is the risk aversion of Calgarians right now in this economy? So it's not to say that they hate their job, but that with a little bit of in, encouragement, uh, in, incentive, they might pursue something that might have way more value to us as a society, to them as a, as a family member or a member of this community. Um, so I think there's, there's also a very positive side to this. But I think, you know, my mind immediately goes to um, those, and, and this is, you know, personal for me, you know, how many families, um, particularly that immigrate to uh, an amazing place or an amazing city like Calgary, that have uh, credentials from uh, a foreign polytechnic, a, formal, a, for, a foreign university, um, even sometimes within the Commonwealth, like my, my father who was an automotive technician uh, trained in the UK, somewhere within the Commonwealth to Canada, moved to Canada in, in the 80s and did not have his credentials recognized and had to start all over again. How many of those Calgarians exist where, hey, they're underemployed or working in a different jurisdiction um, that uh, they would change in a heartbeat if they could or had some sort of assurance. So I think there's there's some some challenges that we need to confront uh, as it concerns some of these findings that have been longstanding that this is just bolstered. But the the, the more um, positive looking ones are, you know, what what more innovation, what more purpose could we get from Calgarians if we had a better way of understanding uh, what they might want to do, what opportunities we could match with their passions. Uh, certainly, there's there's some trade-offs with whatever decision you make, but that that one really, I think, is one that we're going to dive into a little bit deeper about what that might mean for for our our neighbors and our our family members here in Calgary. Yeah, and certainly your point about you know new Canadians being a bit of an issue. I've always I've always struggled with that one because you know if you've ever gone and looked at the selection criteria for people who come from out outside the country, um, you've got to be highly educated. Otherwise, it's very very difficult get in so it's like okay so that's part of the selection criteria but we're not going to leverage your skill set we're going to make you drive a taxi even though you're a phd or you're incredibly intelligent and highly trained individual it's just i still i still can't get over why that problem has not been solved and i know it i know it's better maybe but i i still feel like it's not solved And, and these statistics seem to indicate that that's it's still not solved for sure and and i think that um you know it's it's why one of the first um, sort of pieces of research that I commissioned was around the economic impact of Calgary's newcomers um, uh, that, that we've, you know, tried to get a lot of buzz around because, you know, I think there's a, there's clearly a moral case for immigration that is often made about Canada's unique places and accepting an open society. But when you think about the criteria that is, uh, to your point, um, thrown at a newcomer to say, meet this, this gold standard, this platinum standard, of education, of personal background and skills to come to this country um, and then to not have that adequately leveraged, given that we know that, you know, in the broad scheme of things, yes, we are benefiting, you know, Canada overall, you talk about Canada tech and innovation, but our overall economy, if Canada doesn't admit as many people as it did last year, we are one of every advanced economies that went into a global slowdown. The only reason we didn't is because we adequately um, embraced immigration and took in as many people as we did. And so where I think we need to move the dial is from thinking about, okay, we bring in a, a number of immigrants, they, they purchase things, they contribute to the, to the tax base, et cetera, et cetera. It bolsters our economy. It has to also be from that, that knowledge base. It also has to be from that professional base and how we reconcile, particularly in a pandemic where we had doctors uh, you know, willing to, to give their skills if needed, 
and not being able to because they couldn't plug in their certifications the right way is something that I think definitely has to be shorn up and one that uh, I know certainly we're we're working with requisite parties on on drawing some attention to and thinking about how we can work collaboratively with uh, while while also recognizing folks that are in established processes um, in the queue waiting for particular openings, positions, et cetera. But it's, I, I share that sentiment for sure. Yeah, and for sure. Not not to take away from the fact that, you know, we ha- we do have issues where p- perhaps uh, there are different standards and, um, you know, healthcare training is one example. In some jurisdictions, perhaps the bar might be a bit different than it would be in Canada. And we need to validate that because we're talking about people's lives on the line. So we have to, you know, be thorough, but but at the same time, yeah, um, we, we really, we need to really le- leverage these skill sets. So, um, Jason, I'm, I'm conscious we're, we're hitting an hour now here. I'm conscious of your time, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to take any more of it, but, um, if there's anything else here you want to cover, I'd be happy to, happy to jump into it while we, while we still have got you. Yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I guess what I, what I'll leave, uh, you and your listeners with is, um, this is a, is a challenging time for Calgary and it's not, I, I won't make those comments based on, um, you know, everything that you might've heard. Um, structural change in our in our energy sector, um, you know the challenges uh, post COVID for businesses that were already operating on thin margins that um, uh, have have seen uh, a lot of roadblocks uh, put put in their way. Um, but I, but I think it's a challenging time because we are still in search of uh, I, I think a very clear lockstep identity moving forward. And and what I would encourage uh, as I I sort of tip my hand earlier in the conversation is. Um, tech, the innovation ecosystem, um, and budding entrepreneurs that want to solve really great challenges are ultimately, I think, what are going to be the signposts for us, what are going to be able to, uh, who are going to be able to provide that direction of where we're headed. Uh, I think, I think you're part of that group. Um, you know, I, I feel privileged to be part of that group, but I think we have to reach far and wide to be able to get all the insights we can of those that, that make up the rainforest community, but many others to be able to say what piece of defining a new uh, future for Calgary do we own? And how does that map to the opportunities, strategies, um, and things that we know are working already in flight? Um, because I think right now in a very complex world uh, at, at a time where, where the, the need for progress is almost uh, you know kind of yesterday, um, there's no room for error. And so what I would encourage uh, all your listeners um, whatever piece of the community you may own, if it's from the private side, the public side, if your your only contribution is as a listener here, is recognize the unique um, uh, responsibility that that we all have in building out the future of this community, uh, building out uh, a new economy for for yourself uh, and and for your kids, uh, but most importantly, committing to a very future oriented and positive vision for the city. It's ultimately what is going to get us over the hump in the long run. It doesn't mean that we put uh, aside our, our critical lens. We should be fighting for better data, better evidence, um, uh, more more robust critical thinking on on what directions we pursue and why. And certainly, that's something I hope I brought to to this role over the time that I've I've been in this chair. But all of that should not necessarily cloud um, our perspective on defining a positive vision for the future. That is what is going to bring investment here, capital that you referenced earlier, that is what is going to keep young students here from going elsewhere. Uh, and then finally, that is what is going to, I, I think, provide the the ultimate certainty for, for stakeholders that we have reached uh, we, we have reached over the hump here. 
um, as part of building a, a, a new Calgary economy. And so from a CD perspective, we feel very privileged. And uh, personally, I feel very privileged to have had this conversation with you, Adam. Cool. Well, thanks so much for making the time, Jason. Really appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. Thanks. If you haven't already, visit rainforestab.ca and sign the Rainforest Social Contract. Become part of the inclusive, silo-busting, sector-agnostic, all-industry, open-sourced, ego-shrinking, ecosystem-building, entrepreneur-focused, wide-open, social barrier-smashing community known as Rainforest Alberta. This episode is brought to you by Community Now Magazine. Engage, inspire, educate together. Music for the show was created by Tony Deldegan. Please be sure to share this episode with everyone you know. Also, don't forget to come by and say hi at the next Rainforest event. Let us know what you think of this podcast. If you're interested in being either a host, sponsor, or a guest of the show, send me an email at rainforestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.